Welcome to this podcast is rigged with JW Riggs. I have a great guest today, uh, Bill Cott. You have probably seen him on Wizards of Waverly Place. Uh, this is us, the Dana Carvey Show, Young Sheldon, and a bunch of awesome, a bunch of other awesome things. So, how are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. I mean, I'm just I'm so excited. Larry Tate was like my favorite character on Wizards. So. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you. Um, but, uh, I guess I'm going to go ahead and, uh, let's, I'm going to start with a few questions. So, um, how was it working on Wizards of Waverly Place? It was a lot of fun. I was treated as a family member as soon as I started working on there. Even when I was, you know, the first episode I did, I was just a guest star. I didn't know if I'd be back on the show or not. I had a good idea that I might be. But, you know, you never know. But And they, they, they were that way with everybody who, who visited the set. They treated everybody like they were part of the family. Even when I had a guest one time and his two daughters, they just treated them like superstars. David Henry came by and talked them up, and it was really, really cool. That's awesome. Um, so who's your favorite person to work with, just in general? Wow. Is there in general? <laughs> That's a tough question. My absolute, two of my absolute favorite people to work with. One of them is my wife, who's also a, an improviser, and uh, we communicate really well together. So that makes that process really fun. Um, and you're, you're not going to know any of these people. Uh, the other one is Jay Suko, who also teaches improv all around the world. And he and I have been friends since the late 90s, and we started improvising together then. And it's just, it's, it's a, such a shorthand. The same way with me and my wife. We have just such a shorthand that it's so easy to know exactly what they're saying, both uh, textually and subtextually. There's a shorthand that we speak uh, in everything that we say. So, but if you're asking what celebrity I loved working with, um, it's, it's going to sound like I'm just kissing up to fans of Wizards, but it really was Selena. So professional. She always made me feel welcome. And uh, it was, you know... The, the two times that I worked with somebody who was that big of a star was her and then Dana Carvey, uh, who I worked with early on in my career on the Dana Carvey show. Just welcoming and very, very humble people. Um, thank you. That great answers. But speaking of Dana Carvey, I just like, I absolutely love the Dana Carvey show. I might, I'm actually, I'm only 16, almost 17, but uh -huh. it was on Hulu a while back and I watched all the episodes. I absolutely love it. So. It's finding a whole new generation of fans, even though a lot of that comedy was very topical at the time. Like you probably have no idea who Phil Graham was. And that was my first, my first national network exposure playing him. He was one of the uh, primary candidates for president back in that year. Um, I, I've heard the name because uh, my mom's a history teacher. So. Oh. <laughs> love that you've heard from something in my 20s through a history teacher <laughs> i apologize for that no no you shouldn't it, it was ancient history <laughs> oh. i heard something the other day that made me my jaw drop and that was that and you know just mathematically it's true um we're as far away from the 80s as we were in the 80s from the 40s so my childhood seems like World War II to you, you know, the way it meant to me, you know, so. Wow, that's, I haven't thought about it that way, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, 
but uh, both my parents grew up in the 80s, so I know a lot about like 80s movies, 80s television. So that's, that's my thing, sort of. So, um, but going back to the Dana Carvey show, uh, do you mind talking about like how you got that and stuff? Sure. I got the Dana Carvey show because I had auditioned the year before for Saturday Night Live. And uh, I made it all the way to the network. Uh, they flew me out to New York, put me up at the Paramount Hotel, and me and a bunch of other people, several of whom actually got it that year, uh, they found us through Second City, where I studied improv and sketch comedy in Chicago, and uh, flew me out there, and it didn't go well for me. It started off going really well. Actually, if you watch the documentary, uh, Too Funny to Fail, uh, <laughs> You, you you told me up front that we keep it clean, so I'll keep yeah. it clean. But uh, so because of that, if people want to know more about that, they can watch Too Funny to Fail on Hulu. Uh, but because of the way that audition went, I wound up getting the, uh, the audition for the Dana Carvey show. And um, it was it was what I had wanted since I was a kid to be able to work with one of my big comedy idols, somebody I knew from Saturday Night Live. And it was over before I knew it. I wish I would have slowed down and enjoyed it just a little bit more. Um, but uh, but no, that just seemed like it was a cool, of course, stressful but cool to cool set to work on and stuff. Since you guys had like oh yeah a short time period to work, so truly stressful is probably the best word I can imagine <laughs> to think of it. And and we weren't even as stressful as Saturday Night Live and all the production methods and everything. Were, were based on Saturday Night Live with, with, without the expectation of live performance. We performed in front of an audience, but we knew it wasn't going out live. So there wasn't quite that same feeling. And there was stuff that we had shot previously that we could put in the next episode and things like that. So, but if you want a, a really good book on how stressful uh, the Saturday Night Live experience is, Gasping for Airtime by uh, 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 Jay um oh i'm forgetting his last name and it points out exactly what his book was all about but gasping for airtime is a great book about saturday night live and it mirrored my experience on the dana carvey show awesome i'll look for that that sounds really cool definitely um so like how was it working with robert smigel and for those of you that don't know robert smigel was one of the writers on the dana carvey show he also wrote for saturday night live and uh, Triumph, The Insult Comic Dog, stuff like that. So. Yeah, it was great working with Smigel. I think he's probably the major reason why I got the Dana Carvey show. It's because he enjoyed that audition that I did for Saturday Night Live. And he and I have a similar sense of humor, which is pretty immature. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we both keep it kind of clean. A lot of our comedy is about kids and dogs and stuff like that, but occasionally very dark and, and a little on the blue side. <laughs> But, uh, and that, that's what I had in common with him. And that's what I, and I, I'm still in touch with him today. Of all the people on the show, the one person whom I, if I email, I'll hear back from immediately. It's Robert Smigel. Uh, Stephen Colbert, so busy. Uh, I, I think if I, if I would reach out to him, he'd say hi. Matter of fact, one time somebody was at, um, one of his children was performing at a theater in New York. And a friend of mine saw him there and said, hey, Colbert's here. Should I say hi? And he ran up to him and he goes, yeah, tell Bill I said hi. And <laughs> One of my favorite experiences with Stephen Colbert is years ago, this was when he still had his show on Comedy Central. I was getting onto a plane and he was sitting in first class and I was trudging my way back to coach. 
And he saw me and stood up to give me a big hug and forgot he was on an airplane and bonked his head on the, uh, the <laughs> luggage rack ahead uh, on top of him. And uh, so, uh, yeah, made some great friends. But Smigel, I'm still in touch with. Every time I see an insult, uh, Triumph the Insult comic dog, I'll send him a little email. And, and he always, he gets back to me usually that same day. Um, that's really cool. That was just... I just think it's a really neat show to watch and just yeah. so um, a very bizarre show even yeah. for network television <laughs> it's it's definitely it's not like it's not everybody's cup of tea but it's definitely mine I love stuff like that definitely um but uh let's I was looking earlier I was doing some more research and um I realized you were in uh Paranormal Roommates the uh, Cartoon Network pilot Yes, never, never took off as a series, but yeah, we, we recorded that and um, that was a lot of fun. And when I auditioned for it, there were guys with, who were actually from Scotland. I did the voice of the, uh, the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, look, a big scary man we are, eh? And uh, I, I was sure, you know, with, you know I, 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 I am not a skilled dialectician. That's a comedy accent. And yet I got the job over several actual Scottish actors. Um, that, that show's pretty neat. Uh, of course, the pilot's on YouTube for those of you that want to go back and watch the pilot. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's just, it's a neat show that I think should have gotten picked up. But yeah, I mean, um, but a lot of the time I just, I like researching pilots that didn't get picked up and stuff like that. So there was a show out here in LA for the longest time that they, they would air pilots that never made it to air. Oh. Uh, and you know, you'd go to a nightclub, pay five or $10 or whatever. And often the creators of those shows would show up and talk about it. That's you would have loved it. <laughs> that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. Um, another thing that, uh, that I was looking up the other day, you were in Curious George, the animated, uh, the animated series as the doorman. So yes. how was that? It was a lot of fun. It was, I, I did the first two seasons of that. I did uh, the doorman and Hundley the dog. And I, and I think there were a couple little side voices they might've had me do. Cause they, they would often, you know, they had all these people who were, you know, amazing uh, voice talents. And so they would have us all sometimes do a little extra voice here and there. Um, but those, those are the main ones that I did. And uh that was fun. We all had to record that in the same room with, really? with the exception. Yeah. With the exception of the, uh, the voice voiceover, um, which was uh, Bill Macy. Um, he wasn't in the room with us because he didn't need to be voiceover can patch anyway, but they wanted us all to actually interact in the studios, which even big budget Disney movies don't do that. Mm -hmm. So it was very unique. I've heard that very few times the last couple months when I've been interviewing people, how they've said it's a lot of the times it's either uh, PBS shows and uh, Butch Hartman projects. So the guy who made Fairly Odd Parents and stuff like that, mm -hmm. where they all work together. It's, it's probably because uh, producers and directors who, who value improvisation and know the true value of it know that some magic can happen there between the mics when people are in the same room together playing off one another. Oh, yeah. Um, and you could tell, um, with, even though people say, oh, Curious George is a kid show, it might not be funny. I watch it with my four-year-old niece. It's definitely, mm -hmm. there's some things in there like, oh, yeah, that's still pretty funny. 
<laughs> yeah. The, the really good kids shows, I think, always have a little joke or two in there for the grownups who are watching. Just like, yeah. Even on Wizards of Waverly Place, my character's name, Mr. Larry Tate, was a play on the character's name Larry Tate in Bewitched. Oh, like, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that. I used to watch reruns with my grandmother. So, and my parents watched reruns some. Yep. Um, and then another thing that I watched all the time when I was little, even not at Christmas time, was Santa Paws too. So, oh. <laughs> I was working on that. That was great. I didn't know I was going to be. We shot it in uh, in Fernie, British Columbia, in Canada, and. It's this beautiful little ski town that's just surrounded by mountains. So the whole town is like a valley. And wherever you look, there are snow-capped mountains. And so uh, from what I understood, I was going to be there for a week's worth of work. You know, you, you see the movie and you see me there in basically, I think, two scenes. Uh, you see me there uh, in the opening number. And then you see me there um, in the flashback scene and then the, and then the finale. Um, but I didn't realize that they were going to keep me there throughout the shooting of the whole movie. So I was there for uh, over a month or so. Uh, and so that was a really fun experience going to Canada and, and shooting that movie and just meeting some of the folks that worked on that film. Um, but no, that sounds cool. Those movies, I mean, there's a bunch of, I guess those connect to the Airbud movies. So that's like a long franchise. <laughs> So um, now with Wizards, uh, going back to Wizards, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. That's all right. Um, there was quite a few guest stars on Wizards. Uh, who was your favorite guest star to work with? Um, there were so many. Some people th uh, the other day said, oh, I, 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 bet, uh, I bet Shakira was your favorite guest star. I didn't meet her. I wasn't, you know, <clears throat> there were people who were even in the same episodes as me that I didn't get a chance to uh, to meet, but uh, somebody just asked me this on TikTok the other day because I've been starting to get active on TikTok. I try to respond to questions there. And somebody asked me, and I said, Ted McGinley was probably my favorite just because, you know, uh, I knew him from when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, he was on Married with Children, but he was also on Happy Days. And, you know, he was, whenever he was brought onto a series, he was brought on to replace somebody. <laughs> so that was a joke in casting that he was being brought on to replace me. But I was actually sitting there at the network read through where they're like, now that Mr. Larry Tate is gone. And I was like, wait a minute, wait, 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 hold, hold, wait a minute. There's no way Disney wants to spend more money. So they're not hiring him. So uh, I was a little scared at first, but he was so cool. And uh, really fun to work with. And uh, as I mentioned on TikTok, TikTok he flicked pie at me. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of TikTok, I think it's really cool. The last, I guess, couple months or so, a lot of uh, Disney actors and just a lot of actors in general have really started interacting with their fans since mm -hmm. all this COVID stuff. And then last week, I realized you had TikTok and uh, your TikToks are awesome. So, so much. Um, I'm loving doing it. I didn't know what it was. If you look at some of my earliest TikToks, I'm like, what do I even do here? <laughs> I had no idea. And so I just, I did the best, the, the best thing that you could do in any environment. And, and that's why I teach people in improv too, is observe, listen, observe, see what's going on. 
And then I started to understand, oh, okay, people do these trends. And so sometimes you see something and you think it's completely original and it's not, it's making fun of something that existed that is already making fun of something else. And these things morph and turn into their own memes. And I'm enjoying being a part of that. I've already had one that I did uh, about my daughter that was about Halloween and her wearing, not, not like a mask, but a mask on Halloween. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody else cut a zombie puppet into it. So they did a duet with a zombie puppet. And it's like, there's no end to what can happen with, uh, with what you create on TikTok and what will happen to it. And uh, you never know what will inspire you. Um, no, that's really cool. TikTok, I mean, it, some people give it a bad name. Oh, oh, it's just this, it's just this. But as long as you find like the right group with it and you're on like the right side of it, it ends up being a cool place. So. I really think so. It's the only way I've been able to connect with as many fans like in such a short amount of time. I've been on Facebook for the longest time and the only reason I did it was to connect with fans to let them know, hey, I'm doing this show or I'm doing, this is coming up or I did this podcast or whatever. And um, I'm on TikTok and all of a sudden it's just like exponentially through the roof. Um, but, uh, but no, I enjoy TikTok. I mean, I've made some videos. Some of them have done pretty well. Some of them not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, but no, that's a lot of fun. Um, Quarantine. I, I, before quarantine, I'd said I'm not going to get TikTok. It looks dumb. It looks kind of stupid. And then quarantine hit, and I was like, "Yeah, I need something like this." So, joined TikTok, and it went well. So um, now let's talk about uh, the episode of Freaks and Geeks that you were on. Mm -hmm. uh, how was working with all of them? So that was a really cool show, similar to the Dana Carvey show, where it had like its certain where there was definitely a certain crowd that would watch it. But of course, with network interference, it didn't make yeah. it. So It has its own cult following. Yeah, I, I didn't get to meet uh, a lot of the cast, uh, but I had a lot of fun doing it. I was hoping to meet Joe Flaherty because he was one of my, he played the dad, and he was one of my comedy heroes. Everybody who was on SCTV, that's way before your time. But that was a I show that inspired me and... John Candy was my number one hero, you know, as a big guy who played like over the top characters. He inspired me so much. And then Joe Flaherty was on that show. And I was like, Oh, what if I get to meet him? And I was freaking out over that. But uh, I found out that the person that wrote that screenplay, their um, high school teacher was actually, uh, you know, a big goofy Irish guy who was teaching them Spanish. <laughs> so that's why they wrote the character. Uh, um, but I think I watched that show probably around the same time I watched the Dana Carvey show for the first time. So mm -hmm. they were both like, I love both of those shows. Yeah. So um, now something else that you, uh, that you worked on was Galaxy Quest. You were one of the fans in the movie. So how was working on that? We, we shot it, uh, my scene in it, we shot in the Palladium here in Los Angeles, uh, which is a big convention hall, and uh, they had to turn off the air conditioning. And there are all these people in these velour outfits or big fur outfits, all kinds of makeup and prosthetics on. So they would have to pump in the AC and um, 
Tim, uh, Tim Allen was there with a microphone entertaining everybody between takes because he knew how miserable everybody was. And prior to that, I wasn't the world's biggest Tim Allen fan. And I'm still not a fan of like all his work. Like my, my wife's, one of her favorite movies is the Santa Claus. That's like a yearly classic that we always have to watch. And due to my Dana Carvey show experiences, I always held, held it against Tim Allen. Uh, <laughs> Since that was like the, the lead in show. Yeah. Right. And it was just because we were so different than that. We couldn't hold that lead in audience. So in the back of my mind, he had nothing to do with it. But in the back of my mind, I held him responsible <laughs> for the uh, cancellation of Dana Carvey's show. But um, he, he won me over that day. Because when you're a big star like that, you don't have to stay in that big place and entertain anybody. That's not your job. But he told him to keep the mic live and he'd entertain people and do bits and do some of his classic routines and do actual crowd work. <laughs> and that, that was a really, really fun experience. And uh, meeting Alan Rickman, I didn't really get a chance to talk with him. I was very nervous and very intimidated by him. And that was, what, that was like my first uh, big studio feature film that I was a part of. So I was very intimidated and really didn't say much to him, but it was really cool working with him. Um, but uh, for those of you that don't know, Alan Rickman was Snape on Harry Potter and um, trying to think of his name in Die Hard. Um, yeah, uh, Hans Gruber. Franz Gruber or Hans Gruber, yeah. Yes, so like one of like the best movie villains in my book. Which, you know, I love little, little trivia bits of information. Uh, the, you know, the guy who... Um, who wrote the song Silent Night right. was named Hans Gruber. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that was a Christmas reference to that character's name. It was pretty, wow. pretty interesting. And then a lot of, not, not, not enough people think of that movie as a Christmas movie, but it is. Yes, that's a debate in my house. Is, is it a Christmas <laughs> movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? Usually, usually I'm the only one saying it's a Christmas movie when the rest of my family say no, no it's not. Yeah. I, I can see why people say that guns and terrorists don't belong in a Christmas movie, but I say they do. Yeah. <laughs> There's a perfect tagline for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, another one that people say it's not really a Christmas movie is Lethal Weapon, but it yeah. sort of counts. It I think it does, I think it yeah. does. <laughs> but, uh, now, uh, I got off track a little bit there. Um, let's talk about, um, uh, you were in an episode of This Is Us, which um, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what This Is Us is. It's like one of the number one shows currently. So yes. uh, how was it working on that show? It was really, really fun. Uh, once again, another show that treated everybody just like family. And, um, you know, my scene was with Sterling. And so we rehearsed it in the van driving from our trailers to set. And, um, you know, he said, so you want to run lines? I was like, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> you don't always get a chance to do that when you're in a scene with the lead. Um, and so we started running it. And he was like, oh, it's good. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we, we were running it on set for, for a camera and for lighting and everything. And they were wanting to do it a couple more times. And he said, guys, can we just leave it at that? I got a feeling this is going to be emotional and I don't want to wear him out. So he really helped give me space to create with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the scene, 
uh, a lot of people said I, you know, I made them cry and that that wasn't my job. My job as a supporting character is to come in there and facilitate the emotions of the lead. And so I, I didn't want to overstep that when I got hired for that part. But he was, he, he gave me all the room I needed and the director kept on encouraging me, go ahead, go as far as you want to go with this. And so I did. Um, that's really cool. I need to, I need to catch up on that show. That's on my list of shows that I need to catch up on. So, it's a good show. Uh, it's, it's tough to binge watch because you will cry almost every episode. <laughs> or if not, you will be incredibly emotionally wrenched by the end of it. <laughs> but um, I think uh, that, that show's really impacted uh, and has an impact on television currently and kind of changed some stuff a couple years ago when it came out. I think so too, yeah. How do you think it changed? I just, I, I don't really know. I just think around that time, dramas kind of changed just for a while there. A lot of the dramas had like the same kind of rhythm and beat type of thing. And yeah. This Is Us came along and it kind of just turned stuff around. And it wasn't the same this, this, and this. Kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of another drama show. <laughs> so, but yeah. I think here, here's the two things for me that set it apart from other other dramas of its time. One was that it's funny. It's incredibly funny, a lot of the episodes. Actually, so I guess that's three things. It's funny, it's incredibly funny. Um, it's, a, it's an interracial family and you don't see a lot of that on television. And I think there needs to be more of that. Most definitely. Uh, because, you know, so many people, there's no, no limitations on boundary of what is family and who is family. So that changed. And then I think also um, it, was, it was the first show that, that's set in two, at least that I can remember. Maybe, maybe there have been others. Maybe How I Met Your Mother, but that's not a drama. But uh, it's set in two time periods. You get to see the past and you get to see the present or what, what could be the future of the past show. But that first show, until they showed the guy smoking in the hospital, I had no idea it was set in the 70s, that first episode. So it's pretty amazing uh, the, the, the different ways and different boundaries that that show broke, I think. Um, I think when that show started, it's like uh, my family at the time just moved to Tennessee and my brother went back to college from uh, because the year before that he had, he was going through cancer. So he had to miss a year of college and we were down here at St. Jude. But uh, when this is us came out, we just kind of needed a show like that because mm -hmm. a lot was happening. We just moved into a house Our um, my sister just had a baby. So that was cool. But, um, but that, that show was just really good. Sadly, it like, towards the end of season one, we didn't forget about it. We just got so busy, but we have the seasons on DVD, so we need to catch up. But, yep. uh, the first episode, plenty of time. Yes, first episode, we weren't completely sure, but then we saw Gerald McRaney was in it. So. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, but yeah, it's just a great cast, and I think you add in well to the supporting cast. So. Thank you. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, now, uh, another show that you were in was Young Sheldon, and mm -hmm. uh, that cast is just, like I said before, that's, like with other shows, that's a big cast as well. How was working with that cast? Um, 
you know what? Can you can you repeat the question? I freaked out because I realized that my 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 cord to my laptop isn't around here, and, I'm, and it's almost dead. Oh, um, so I, I was in my head about that, trying to figure out what to say or what to do. I left it in the in the kitchen or or, or in my daughter's room, or one of those places in the front room or the my daughter's room. I can't remember where. Can you repeat the question one more time for me? My wife is my wife is already on it. She's trying to help out. Well, tell your wife I said thank you. <laughs> I will certainly do that. Um, so, how is it working on Young Sheldon with that? Oh, Young Sheldon. Yeah. Well, the, Lance Barber has been a friend of mine since Chicago. I've known him forever, and so we were actually in an episode of uh, of ER early, early on in the day, shortly after we had both moved out here from Chicago to Los Angeles. So the fun part about that for me was spending the whole day with him. He was, you know, introduced me around to everybody and uh, spent a little time with Ian, who even though he wasn't in my scene, uh, he was fun to meet. And he's into martial arts and loves magic. And I told him I was a magic castle, castle magician. And so I did a little magic for him there. And um, I just had a really fun day on the set. Oh, and the, oh, the other fun thing was they have a, a fun thing that they like to do, which is um, they'll get together and watch a recent episode that hasn't aired yet. So I got to see an episode before it aired with the rest of the cast, and it was fun to get all the genuine reactions from them. That's, uh, that's cool. Um, so speaking of Magic Castle, I didn't know you were a Magic Castle member. That's cool. I mean, well, I'm not a member. Let's get back to that. Okay. Uh, my friend Dave is, and Dave and I do a two-person act where we do magic, music, and improv all mixed together. And so Dave is the member. I, sh I By now, I should have joined because we've been doing our act together for, my gosh, I think it's almost five years now. We've traveled. We've, we've performed it in Chicago. We did it at the New Orleans Comedy Arts Festival. Uh, we did it at Improv Olympic out here in Los Angeles, but most often we do it at the Magic Castle. And um, I'm overdue to join because I, I have the requirements. It, it's just a matter of like, like right now, you can't really go. You, you can right. go to the Magic Castle and do it in a parking lot. They, they, they actually have shows and dinners in the parking lot right now, which is kind of cool. But um, they're probably just going to book, you know, the very exclusive acts and you know uh you know solo acts things like that smaller acts that can be done outside which isn't our show um but uh speaking of magic castle i've actually had uh someone else who's worked at magic castle on my podcast uh adam wiley he was in the movie under wraps and oh cool so yeah he's he nice. was on my podcast two or three months ago so Nice. So there's a magic connection on your podcast. <laughs> small world. Very have you ever world. done magic? Have you ever? Uh... I've thought about it. I, I have. But then I think I had a magic kit a couple years ago. Mm. I, I used it. I, I just, I need to go back to that and try that. Yeah. Again. You know, what's more fun than magic kits is going to the library and looking uh, under 793.8. That's the Dewey Decimal System for Magic, 793.8. And just pick up a couple books on beginning to do card magic. Because if you've got a deck of cards, you'll be able to find one anywhere from that point forward. If you're in a classroom, if you're in a dorm room, if you're on a plane, you'll always find a deck of cards. 
So that's some way you could always, before I started doing improv, that's how I started walking up to people and initiating conversations. I was very shy because we moved around a lot as a kid. And so uh, that's why I got into magic. And that's why I say, you know, sometimes not everybody can get into improv and do improv, but magic, you can get a magic video. You can go right on YouTube mm -hmm. and find magic you can do with a quarter out of your pocket or a deck of cards. Um, but uh, that that's pretty cool. I I need to do that. I need to look up some YouTube videos and um, because I mean, you were talking about you could even do them in like dorm rooms and just like situations and stuff at like yeah. college and high school. And I'm going to college in a couple years. So. I was figuring, so. trying to set you up for success. <laughs> but um, but comedy. I mean, I love comedy. Comedy has always had an impact on my life because yeah. that's that's something I've always kind of, I've always listened to comedy with my dad. My mom loves comedy and she listens to it with uh, my dad and I, but that's just like, like some of the Mel Brooks stuff I would watch with my dad and stuff like that. We watch that stuff all the time. So. Yeah, I did too. I used to watch a lot of Mel Brooks stuff with my dad. He introduced me to his favorite uh, Mel Brooks movie which was The Producers and that was way before it became a smash hit on Broadway it was kind of obscure for a lot of people unless you were uh, around in the 60s when the movie came out because it was hard to find on video and he found it on video and was like you need to watch this because they're not going to show it on network television oh. <laughs> um, now I haven't seen the original Producers I've only seen the uh the one with oh. so I need to watch two of my favorite actors play the lead in it there's Gene Wilder who if you're a you know if you're a Mel Brooks fan you know him from a lot of his movies um and uh and Zero Mostel who was an amazing stage and film actor in the 50s and 60s and um that he he broke the mold for uh, Bialystok, you gotta see him play Bialystok. And you know, as amazing as uh, Matthew Broderick was, you have to see Gene Wilder in that character. When he goes crazy about the blue blankie, forget it. The movie's <laughs> over at that point. Uh, but um, no, just comedy. It's like comedy is the best medicine, basically. Is it really is. It'll get you through anything. I was really depressed a while back, you know, so much going on right now. And uh, it's a very difficult time. And I just turned on some uh, Laurel and Hardy, you know, even stuff that old still holds up. It's classic for a reason. You need laughter and uh, highly recommend a good laugh. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I think it was near the beginning of quarantine. I realized Amazon Prime uh, added the Cara Brunette show. And I was like, okay, I've heard about it. My That's family right. loves it. I'll give it a try. Absolutely love it. So <laughs> I've been watching it ever since. Yeah, Cara Burnett was a genius. Uh, Vicki Lawrence, of course. And um, I, I loved, another one of my role models was Tim Conway. Tim Conway. I just was. love his physical humor and his characters. Um, so speaking of comedy icons, who are some of your, uh, people that, uh, inspired you with comedy? Yeah. Well, uh, I've mentioned a few of them already. Right. Um, Zero Mostel was one of them. Some of the roles that I played in musicals in high school was totally modeled on Zero Mostel. So I, I did, um, two by two, the Richard Rogers musical about Noah and the Ark. 
and I got cast as Noah, and I'm like, you don't think of a bigger guy as Noah. So how would how would Noah be? You know what 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 would Noah be like? And Danny Kay played him on Broadway. You know, uh, a very skinny, uh, redheaded guy, but he probably had a gray wig or whatever. Um, and I was like, well, and I was like, boom. <laughs> I'm going to do it like Zero Mostel. So it was basically an impression of Zero Mostel when I did Noah, because I was like, well, it would be interesting to hear Noah with like a Yiddish accent. <laughs> and so that's what I went with. And so, um, you know, let's, let's get down, let's get down to the truth, you know, as an old Testament character. So I did that. So Zero Mostel was always a big influence. John Candy. Uh, I love John Candy. I got to met his, meet his daughter, Jen when I worked on Wizards of Waverly Place, cause she worked behind the scenes on that show. And um, uh, Jackie Gleason, whom we mentioned yes. uh, parenthetically earlier, yeah. he was always a big fan of mine. So some of the bigger guys always had an effect on me, I think, because you know I kind of role modeled myself behind guys I kind of looked like or could sound like. Um. That that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, lately, I mean, I just I've been watching more comedy than ever lately. So a lot of like stuff like the Dana Carvey show, and I realized uh, recently the Ben Stiller show is I could buy that on Amazon. So I think I might get that soon. Yeah. See if I like it. Oh, you will. <laughs> if you like the Dana Carvey show? Here's the thing. There were people who wrote on Ben Stiller that also wrote on. Uh, Dana Carvey show, including, are you familiar with uh, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, Mr. Show? Yes, yes. All right, so if you love them, that's where they both kind of started off. So they've got Bob Odenkirk as Charles Manson on the Ben Stiller show, uh, all kinds of crazy characters by all, some of the funniest people you've ever seen. Janine Garofalo is on it. So yeah, you want to see the Ben Stiller show. Oh yeah, I, I definitely... I think I might, I'm going to look that up soon. So yeah. it looks awesome. Um, so I think we still have a few more minutes to, to chat. Is there anything that you would like, anything else you would like to talk about or promote before we kind of wrap it up? What I'm talking with people this month is it's Down Syndrome Awareness Month. So um, a bunch of different ways you can support is find out more about Down Syndrome. Not many people know more about Down Syndrome and find out some of the things that uh, people with uh, intellectual disabilities go through and um, you could you could support Special Olympics a lot of my friends with Down syndrome that I've made are through Special Olympics so if you just ha start hashtagging things this week or in this month with uh, Down syndrome awareness uh, definitely uh, thank you for saying that that definitely needs more awareness is it doesn't get enough I agree uh, it definitely gets overshadowed um but uh is there any project any other projects you would like to talk about even though i know everything's kind of stalled right now because of the pandemic <laughs> so, yeah uh, um, well i've i've got some uh some stuff that i'm i'm working on some projects in the hopper so i can't talk about those but i'm on tiktok i'm creating content there i'm about to go live uh this weekend, I think Sunday night at seven, I got to check my schedule on that one. Uh, matter of fact, you know what? I could check it right now just to double check with you to see if I'm going to be doing that. And uh, 
I do something on Facebook called Live Jive. If people want to follow me on Facebook and they're on Facebook, they can go to Live Jive or they can go to my website, which is uh, mailman.blog. And I, I, I started that name for it after I did This Is Us so that people knew what that was about. And um, oh, it can't be Sunday. And it can't be Saturday. Oh, man, I can't go live this weekend when I thought I was going to in the evening. Maybe in the day. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, people follow me on TikTok. They'll figure out when I'm, when I'm going live and when I'm going to do that. And uh, Facebook Live, coming back with Live Jive again, probably in November, definitely over the holidays. Awesome. Uh, sounds good. I just want to tell you it's been a blast that I've been able to talk to you. And I hope to have you back in the next few months, hopefully. That would be great. So. Stay in contact. Yes, definitely. So, and thank you everybody who's listening, uh, who, who is listening. <laughs> awesome.